thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. And on today's show, uh, we've got a very special guest. Her name is Andrea Maxim. And she's a practicing naturopathic doctor. She's an author and she's a business mentor. And I've been actually listening and following her podcast called the Profitable Practice Podcast. And her mission is to help wellness practice practitioners grow their practice into a profitable business. And as I've been listening to the show and, and enjoying her show, I thought, you know, maybe I can reach out to her and get her on on this show so we can bring some of her knowledge and expertise uh, to, to our audience here. So with that introduction, Andrea, I would love to welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I, uh, I was excited when uh, you responded back and and said yes to, to hop on the show. So I appreciate your time. And it still amazes me. I think every time I do this, that like here you're in Canada, I'm in Seattle, Washington, and we get to have this conversation like this, like this still blows me away. <laughs> I know, isn't it great? And even having these platforms just makes the conversation to create these connections and to have people on, you know, your show or on like do a live, like having these type of abilities to reach out to someone in such a, like, I'll say this tongue in cheek, but non-confrontational way. Like it's not totally out of nowhere. Some strangers asking you to, to join them. Um, <laughs> right. Having a podcast, even when I was researching for my book, I was reaching out to people that I never thought would ever give me the time of day, but because I was writing a book, and I was asking to contribute for research, I was able to talk to Christian Northrup and Sean Croxton and Natasha Turner, like all these people I idolized at the time. So thank goodness for the internet, always. Yeah. Props to the internet. We love technology, especially yes. when it works, right? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, you know, I always love asking this this first question to, to get the episodes going anytime I bring on another naturopathic doctor because I've yet to meet a naturopathic doctor that doesn't have some sort of personal story as to why they wanted to become one, like more so than any other industry out there. And so I'd love to hear your story around why you chose to become a naturopathic doctor. Well, now you have met one who doesn't have a personal <laughs> oh, story really? or connection with naturopathy. Yeah, um, I can tell you from like the early ages of like five or six, I still remember um, like jumping off of the school bus into my mother's arms and saying, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a doctor one day. And that was it. That was my life path. I never deviated. I didn't have these audacious dreams of taking any other career. It was always medicine. And so when I went to university, I realized very quickly that conventional medicine was not my calling. I didn't want to hustle. I didn't want to write the MCATs. I didn't want to compete with anybody to get a spot, but I still stayed in the sciences. And it wasn't until my fifth year thesis on peanut allergy that I started researching other methods of medicine that I could take as a, like a, a second undergrad or a secondary degree. 
And so with Google, thank goodness for Google, um, I was just searching up things that I, I was curious about. So I was looking at physiotherapy or chiropractic medicine, but then I came across naturopathy and naturopathy umbrellaed all of the medical techniques that I wanted to learn, but merged it with lifestyle and um, acupuncture and herbs. And it was, again, one of those light bulb moments. This is what I'm doing applied mm. to the um, only school at the time. There's only one school in Canada. Um, so I applied to the school in Toronto, Ontario, and mm. that was it. So I don't have any personal antidotes or like I didn't visit a naturopath other than when I went to school. It was just my, my natural calling. Why and how? So as a, you said as a kid, you wanted to be a doctor. Where, where did that stem from? If we're getting into a bit of the woo, I have no other answer to tell you than um, I had been to see someone and they said, I have a very old soul and I was always like a, a giver or I took care of people in my other lives. Mm. But I guess gotcha. also my great aunt was a nurse in the, one of the world wars. And um, supposedly I tap into my healing powers from her I have no proof to base this on, you know, we're going down the woo rabbit hole here, but that is, that's the only answer that I can give to you is that somewhere down my lineage, there was a, a healer and I'm just like passing on that medicine to hopefully my kids now. I, I, I don't know how it always could, there's, when you, be, especially if you're starting a business and, and you're in the industry of helping people there's something either to your point in your lineage or something that that occurs or something deep down that has someone to be driven to do that to help people because what mm -hmm. naturopathic doctors do or just doctors in general what you do for your patients is unbelievable and oftentimes like goes on you go on like thankless sometimes from from some people and so I, I think to to use your language, the woo there uh, yeah. is can can be an ultra important piece of that. Yes, thank you so much. That's um very kind of you to say because it is it is a demanding profession for sure with regards to the amount of knowledge we need to have. Um, and I'm just really thankful that people are starting to open their eyes to options with regards to their health, that it mm -hmm. isn't this antiquated model of seeing a conventional doctor and they are the king and those are the only people you talk to. People are really starting to advocate for their health, for what they want for their life. They want to be educated. They want more tools than just a quick pill. Um, and so we have to give kudos to the movement of natural medicine as well. Otherwise, I would just be another, you know, witch, like boiling my potions and stirring my <laughs> cauldron and, you know, living in my basement with my rats. Like, who knows? You you bring up, you know, I, talk, I talked to you a little bit about this before hopping on on the show here and the stereotype, if you will, around naturopathic medicine while the the witch you know stewing your cauldron stereotype <laughs> is definitely going away and, and do people think that that's actually the case nowadays no but some version of that at least in my head and this is probably you know my son is 10 so this would have been at least um 10 years ago i just had a different understanding of what it is you all do yeah and until someone educated me 
and thank God to my wife and, you know, um, being uh, persistent and more stubborn than me to help me get there. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't know that I would have ever gotten there because, you know, even, and it's changed a little bit, but, you know, there's been TV shows, there's been jokes out there and you just kind of imagine this person with all these like potions to help people. And that's not at all what it's all about. Well, I think the the funniest thing, and this is because I've been a pra in practice now for 10 years, so it's a lot more mainstream now than even when I started, let alone everybody who graduated before me. And I still remember there would be people that would come in as new patients, never experiencing naturopathy before and being like, oh, I didn't think you, that you would look quote unquote normal. I was expecting like this hippie granola, like dread looking person. And so um, be with the mainstream Ness, um for lack of a better word, around naturopathy. Uh, I think people are just, you know, they're just adopting it. Um, but I will still say 90% of the new patients that we attract have never been to a naturopath before. So it's still very much in its pioneer phases. It's just a lot more accepted now. Right. Which is awesome. And it's it's just fantastic to bring that holistic approach to your health because you know, when you think about it, it, it's kind of common sense, yet for whatever reason, the the traditional model is it tends to be, uh, maybe this is stereotype now on that end, but tends to be more of like pushing pills and, and rather than looking at the, the entire body and what it is you're putting into your body. So, um, and I just want to close this by saying it's also not an us or them um, conversation no. we're happening we're having either. Like everybody has a place. What your medical doctor can do with regards to red flag, you know, way above normal blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, if you need acute emergency care, that isn't something that we're going to be able to touch. But when yeah. it comes to preventative, proactive, supportive medicine, having a naturopath on your team, having an osteopath, a chiropractor, a nutritionist, like whoever on your team, that's how that's how we do it. We It's again, a community approach, right? It's not us or them, or I, I can't take a pill because then I'm not all natural. There are patients that are still on medication because that's what gives them the quality of life that they need. Do they need to be on the max dose and on like 10 pills when one will do? No. And that's where these alternative approaches come in really beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. And th thank you for for bringing that, that caveat to that. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, so transitioning into, uh, you know, naturopaths go, go to school and you go to school just as, as much as any other doctor out there and you graduate and you're, you've gone to school to learn how to become a doctor and help people yeah. medically. And then if you want to start your practice, it's kind of like, oh crap, I didn't learn that. Right. <laughs> so right. you have this podcast called the Profit, Profitable Practice Podcast. So what led you to start that podcast? It was a passion project. Um, I knew, well, it really stemmed from, I think it was like 2014, where every time our licensing fees would go up, even if it was $100 in a year, we have a naturopathic community on Facebook and everyone just exploded. They were just like, why does it have to go up? Why is it so expensive? I can barely make ends meet, blah, blah, blah. And there were very few resources for us to help learn and navigate the business side of things. So instead of joining in the conversation of 
woe is me, why, why, why? I just said, well, why don't I just become one of those solutions? And that's what birthed the Profitable Practice podcast. Um, so that podcast, uh, I think we've been doing it now for three years. We are approaching 175 episodes now. So, you know, it's been, a, a as I said, a passion project. I couldn't not do it. It's just such a great resource for anybody in the healthcare industry to listen to. Um, and the results that people are getting because of it, and at least feeling that they're not alone in a lot of their concerns is, you know, payback for me. And I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, it's, it's so important, you know, as, as Alex and I, my business partner, as we're working with naturopaths in, in the, on the financial side, and, and helping them with that piece, you know, the, the common thing we constantly hear is, you know, that you, you don't get the education around how to start a business and how to look at it from being a CEO versus a practitioner. And you actually mm -hmm. have an episode, it's one of, one of my favorite episodes that I've listened to thus far, around the difference between being a practitioner and a CEO. And that struggle, that's there because you have to go from understanding how the body works and the medical advice to uh, understanding how to actually have patients to begin with, so marketing yourself, and then right. how do you grow the practice? What steps do you take first, right? Should I, when do I hire the, um, uh, the front desk you know, assistant possibly or virtual assistant? And when do I hire another ND for the clinic? And we've got all these questions and it's hard to transition to that. So what has been, you know, what are some tips you can give around transitioning the mindset from practitioner to business CEO? The one of the biggest obstacles, and I was actually reflecting on this even last week, is I um, went to the naturopathic school and did a business presentation to them. And one of the most common questions that comes up is, um, what about people that can't afford our services? You know, how do we help everybody? So we tend to put ourselves into a bit of a martyr situation from the get go where instead of being able to pay our bills and have the lifestyle that we want to, we lower our rates, offer our time for free, um, just as either a way to get people into the door so that we are living up to our identity as a healer. Because if we're not helping people, then we're not we're not working within our core identity. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we tend to sacrifice our time, our money to help as many people as we can. And that's because we graduate as healers. We don't graduate as business owners. We don't graduate with an MBA or with that mindset. And that's the first light that needs to be flicked on is you are here to run a business. If you don't learn to market yourself properly in a way that um, helps you stand out amongst the ocean of other, you know, um, students that are graduating the exact same as you with the exact same education as you, there, you have to find a way to stand out very, very quickly. It is um, feast or famine in a lot of cases. And I think with the shutdown, that was very glaring to a lot mm -hmm. of practitioners who were just still adopting that. I just want to keep my healer hat on and just try to help people. And then all of a sudden the money like just evaporated. And then they're like, oh, oh, I guess I wasn't running my business like a business after all. It, you know, it, it's just about understanding the people that help the most are usually the ones that 
make the money, make enough money so that they are satisfied, their business can continue to run. And then all of the extra, you can then start becoming more of a philanthropist if you want to. But don't think that you can start giving back to people, creating a charity or um, doing things like that if you're not taking care of yourself first because your business won't last. And um, it sounds really frank and maybe a little bit blunt, but that is the, the reality, especially now. You have to just um, you know, be able to take that hat off of being a healer and put that hat on as a business owner, probably more so. I think I spent the first couple of years in practice just learning business, not even honing my skills other than the patients I was seeing, but learning all of the business tactics that I could. And I know that that is why I am so resilient and successful now. Yeah, the the business hat slash the maybe I'll call it money taboo, if you will, um, it is is difficult because I I don't know many natural paths that's when they graduate they they went into that to become a naturopath to make all of the money in the world like i know I, I their goal person. is no one will say a million dollars they're all like i just right. want to help exactly. people that's it right and so i have to have conversations oftentimes with 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 them with their the financial planning side of things is like look i get that the helping people and the patients is is what you do but if you're not financially savvy and business savvy you can't help that many people. Like if your business yeah. goes under because you don't have one, how did you help people? Exactly. And, and I think that needs to be hammered home more and earlier on in the student career so that when people leave, because the other thing is, is when we're naturopathic students, we live in a bubble where everybody knows what we do. Everybody speaks the same language. Everyone's already drinking the Kool-Aid. And then we get thrust or birthed into like the real world. And we're like, oh, people don't understand why dairy is bad for you. Oh, they don't understand how much healthcare costs. Oh, they don't know why like eating fruits and vegetables will actually prevent X, Y, or Z like disease. They don't. They just don't and it's a it's like a relearning process to pop that bubble and leave that bubble and be like oh like i have to educate all of these people about why i'm so important for them to hire me as their practitioner as one of their health team members um, and we don't get that education we just get thrust out we do all of the requirements for our degree and then we're like okay like why don't people get it why can't i hang a shingle and just be busy right yeah it's the same thing in my industry right like why don't people understand that maybe they should look at their finances like it's it's same same and um it's it can become frustrating um i i gotta imagine being a, a, an nd starting a practice and struggling and that's got to hurt yeah. the confidence to continue to to charge people what you should be charging and that's exactly what birthed the maximized practitioner method that i created so pillar one of that methodology is foundational experience all it is is asking you like put yourself in front of as many people as you can hustle grind like talk to people do the talks do the trade shows go live do the webinars the seminars whatever it takes for you to get in front of as many people as you can so you gain the confidence of language you gain the confidence of knowing who you want to attract and who you don't want to attract 
what a lot of new students do is they spend their first year working on branding, working on colors, working on fonts, working on websites, just showing up on social media because they should, but they're not taking the time to build that confidence. Exactly what you said, because when you have the confidence, you then understand what your value is, you understand your worth, and you charge what your value is. And we don't do that when we feel unsure about our skills. And so oftentimes people are jumping ahead. They're trying to like run a marathon when they haven't even walked around the block yet. So you, you have to just give yourself a little bit of space and time to get comfortable in this new world. And that it doesn't happen overnight, which mm -mm. <laughs> mix, mix the, the confidence. And if you're anyone like me, the lack of patience <laughs> right. to, to get there, it, it, it can seem insurmountable. And I love the analogy to um, exactly elaborate on what you're saying is, um, if I were to hand you a guitar and you wanted to play, let's say, um, some like amazing Queen song. I love Queen. I don't think you can play Queen on the guitar perhaps, but anyways. So you wanna play an amazing Queen song and I just give you a guitar and I'm like, play. There's no way you're gonna be able to play a song just by me handing it to you. You have to learn the chords. You have to learn where your fingers go on the strings. You have to practice and practice and practice. But you also have to do, right? I think with practitioners, there's a lot of hoping and dreaming and wanting without a lot of execution, doing and experimenting. So one of my mentors says there's knowledge and there's knowing. The knowledge is the book smarts, which we have in spades. Or, you know, I attended a webinar therefore by osmosis, I'll be as um, you know, successful as this person on the webinar. But until you actually do, until you put yourself out there, until you, um, you know, be a little bit vulnerable, drop the ego, allow for feedback and all of those things and continue to practice that just like you would your guitar, you're going to get nowhere close to be able to play that rock song that you want to. And so how long does it take for someone to learn how to play guitar really well? That also doesn't happen the moment they touch a guitar. It takes time and practice and learning that skill. And I think, again, we're just not taught about it that way. And for me, that made a lot of sense. And the other thing that I will say is we are in this for the long of practitioners. So for, again, talking about the CEO mindset versus practitioner mindset, CEOs think long term, like the course of my career. Practitioners think short term. How can I get somebody into my office today? How can I make the most money today? That is not how you run a successful practice. Even with the shutdown with COVID, it was again, how can I just scramble to make money while there's no money there? That's not what it was about. That was to show you the things that you had in place are not working. Take this time to build up those systems, build up the automation, you know, communicate with your with your audience. Just show them that you're there, show them that you're a pillar of health. And then long term, that will pay off in dividends. But too many people went frantic short term and that's all they were thinking about. And that is that is probably one of the biggest differentials between successful practitioners and unsuccessful practitioners is where's your mindset at? And if you're thinking about how many dollars can I make today, you won't be around. I can promise you in a couple of years. Yeah, and the key, uh, because in my industry, we have, the same, we have the same issue in terms of when we're bringing on new financial advisors or when I'm coaching some financial advisors in another practice, 
um, you know, they've got the same struggles. Like, where can I find my client today? And they're not looking at it. Exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. And a key term that I always bring up, and I think it's 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 the same in, in for for you all is you have to think like the business owner, but you also have to, and the mindset has to be there, and you have to have the discipline to be consistent. Exactly. Show up for your business every single day. I think that consistency and dropping the ego is exactly the words that everybody should be keeping in mind. How do I keep going? What do I keep doing? How do I keep showing up? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the discipline's like a four-letter word, I think, a lot of times, at least for me, I, when I think of discipline is when I was being like when I was a kid and I was being disciplined. Right. <laughs> Where now it's more of just consistency and the discipline to get up every day to do what you know you need to do. Yeah. And on that podcast you're referring to, I was interviewing Lori Kennedy, who's one of the people I consider um, one of my mentors. And the best um, thing that she always says is, you know, if you don't want to show up for your business, if you don't want to work hard, if you don't want to be consistent, then also drop the expectation of what your business is going to look like. Right. Mm. So if you don't want to show up and work like someone who wants six figures and you're expecting six figures, it doesn't work that way. So I think there's also that that we have to talk about, too. Maybe you're comfortable making 30 K um, per year fine. And that's what you're comfortable doing. If you want more, you have to work harder. And I I think people, again, it's probably that millennial piece coming into play where there's this expectation of what we should be receiving and the reality of what you're actually going to get. And I will tell you that regardless of whether you're a millennial, a zennial, whatever you are, the, the rules of business have not changed. How we conduct business has, but you still got to show up and you still have to work your ass off for sure, especially for the first five years. Yeah. I wish that uh, at least when I was in school and I'm sure you might agree when, when you all are in school, you wish you would have um, maybe not business classes, but maybe like reality classes of like (laughs) current NDs that come in and say, look, if you want to make X amount of money, or if you want to build this type of practice, you're going to work your tail off. So do mm-hmm. not have mis- misconceptions of what you're about to get yourself into. And on that note, a lot of students complain that they only get presented to by successful practitioners, right? Mm-hmm. They don't hear the the negative side of people that are giving up their license, that are quitting their practice and what their lives look like. So I think and a school would never do that because a school is also a business, right? Why on earth would it ever bring someone who isn't successful? But those stories right. are out there. And those are also things that need to be discussed, being like, if if you want your path to look like this, then this is what you have to do. If you don't want it to look like this, then this is an alternative for you. Um, but the, all private schools like naturopathy are businesses, and they're not going to turn business away with negative news, right? So, yep. Yeah, I was at um, Bastyr University um, here in Kenmore, Washington, um, and uh, I was in there actually teaching a course on on finance, like kind of finance 101, because a lot of Indies graduate with a bunch of student loan debt, and they're wondering, okay, how do we, what are the steps to take? And as we started talking, you know, I I got a couple questions around like naturopaths that I'm working with and what's on their mind and their concerns, and I started like just being real with them around like these are the struggles I'm hearing actually occur. And I had, I don't, 
I must have had half the room come up afterwards and just say, thank you for giving me like realistic, like what real people are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm not even an ND, but you know, just because I've been working with NDs, they, they, you know, they took that experience to, to heart and that was very helpful for them. So, yeah. So wh where do we see the profession going? To be honest, and I was kind of thinking about that myself, um, I really think that the profession, if they don't drop, again, I use this word already, this antiquated way of running a business, that it all has to be in office, it all has to be one-on-one -on -one models. Um, you know, if like venture online, if you dare, if we don't drop that, I don't think this profession is going to be around much longer. And I think, again, the shutdown really made that very apparent. Like people that were still doing the same thing that's been going on for decades are quickly realizing, oh, like this can go. This is finite. Whereas if we start merging our practices online, having virtual visits be just as profound as in-office visits, if we start um, creating programs and systems and automation using online tools, that's the wave of the future. And unfortunately, it isn't being taught that way in school. They're still using the same model that they've been teaching this entire time. And we just really need to not be so lazy about our approach to teach these students and be like, look, this is what it's going to look like in 10 years. Let's teach that. So our, our students are prepared, if not more equipped than what we're getting right now. Um, and that's just that's just where it has to go. And I could say this even for graduated practitioners who are in business right now, if you're not hopping on the online bandwagon, and it doesn't mean um, abandoning your brick and mortar, but if you aren't just as equally merged online and using online tools, you also won't be around that long. Like look at how many multi-billion dollar businesses are either filing for bankruptcy right now or shutting down, you know, 10, 15, 20% of their brick and mortar stores because they're still making a ton of money online. Like look at Bezos, right? With Amazon, he is the, yep. the richest man in the entire world in the, I think in history now, and his entire business is, is using online um, to, to run it. So if, yeah, that's probably the biggest outstanding piece that people just need to be comfortable with. And then, of course, when we say that, a ton of fears come around regulations and what do I do? How do I not like work against what I'm allowed to do? There's a ton of gray and there's a ton of opportunity. But if you continue to let that fear of doing something wrong stop you from venturing into something that is still right and is still allowed, well, then you're also allowing your circumstances to dictate what your potential um, earnings and success rate will be. Um, and I find we tend to do that a lot as well. We were always like, well, what if, what if, what if? You're telling yourself stories that don't even exist. Like, show me some truth and then we can have a real conversation. Yeah, the you have to adapt. Yeah, right? you have to. If And that's going to like, that's going to be there throughout your career right like we don't know what's going to happen i mean 2020 could change a ton of stuff compared to, to <laughs> considering what's all happened in in the world like every year you got to continue to adapt and, and continue to educate yourself so that you don't become one of those 100 year old companies that are going to be bankrupt or out of business here soon mm -hmm. yep so well, Andrew, I so appreciate your time. I appreciate the the information that you've shared. How, if if I'm a listening ND right now and and want to hear more about you and and talk to you about 
my practice, how would they go about reaching out to you? The best way to reach out to me is on Instagram at Andrea Maxim ND and drop me a DM and we can have a, a private conversation there. And then you can also check out my podcast as you referenced on maximizedbusiness.ca and there's a ton of free resources there too. So either one of those platforms. Awesome. So we'll put in the show notes uh, those those platforms. So um, check the notes out if you're listening to this episode and you can have a way of reaching out to Andrea. And Andrea, again, thank you so much for hopping on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and it's not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 